After constantly being bombarded with emails, phone calls, and text messages on a daily basis asking, what would you do? Sometimes it's an, oh crap, I made a mistake, help me. And sometimes it's just a question about the latest technology and do we feel it's worth the investment? We want to help answer all of these questions. So, welcome to What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. We'll be interviewing experts in the industry to help answer the questions that you desire to know the answers to. And now, it's time for What Would Larry Do? featuring Dr. Ann. Hello, and welcome to What Would Larry Do? I am Dr. Ann, and I am here with Larry Helwig, bright and early on a Thursday morning. Yay. <laughs> sort of yay. I think we're both a little tired. I'm trying to down as much coffee as possible. But we have a, a fun topic for you today. And not even just does this just apply to the aesthetic world, but I think the world overall. So Larry, so you want to start a business, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this topic comes up frequently where people talk about, oh, I'd like to get into this. I'd like to do this. I would like to start a business in this. And, um, you know, I, do, do I love that people want to get into this? Yes. I mean, it's a huge, wonderful, wonderful field to be in. And, and you know, I, I look back and say, God, it was the best thing I, I could have done. But uh, I, you, you have to also be a little realistic. And so what I want to do is bring some reality to it. Uh, today and talk about uh, some different pointers, you know, and, and things to think about with starting a new business in aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, a, a number of years ago, I heard Keith Cunningham talk on business, and I, I always appreciated his approach to things. It was very direct and in your face, you know, and, and, uh, but it, it, it made total sense. And uh, the, the other day I saw a, a little writing that he put together that had to do with uh, you getting into business. would be like um, getting your, your uh, boarding pass to get on a plane. And, uh, and so, in other words, you've made the decision to do it. That's your boarding pass. And then they take you to the window and you look out on the tarmac and there's your plane in about... 237,000 pieces <laughs> and you know your job is and now they're not labeled they're not in any particular order there's no manual and you <laughs> need to put all of this together and so you know how are you going to assemble your plane and so you know you start off with whoa you know there's a, so many things to do Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get licenses, you have to get certain approvals, you need to, you know, find a location. You, I mean, it just, it's almost endless how many things you need to do. And then let's say you actually have enough people, talented people and staff and whatever to help you assemble a plane. Now you need to fill it up. That's gas, which is money. <laughs> and you need a lot of it. Yep. And so, you know, it, when I started, you know, if you had a device or two, you did some hair removal and you did maybe some photo facial, that was kind of all you needed. But nowadays, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, 
with with treatments virtually from head to toe, mm-hmm. you know, and how many devices you can have and, and how many different things you can do that you kind of get sucked into it. Patients will say, well, if you did this, I'd, I'd come to you, you know. Well, it's it's expensive to do that. It's you, you you can't just start with a couple hundred thousand dollars of capital and think that you're going to be able to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big part of it, and it is very very expensive. So I think um, I think the whole thing is is taking a look at I want to do a business. I want to start this business. I want to make it happen. And but some basic questions like Have you had a business before. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you've had one, two, three businesses, so you know how to set up a business. But were those businesses successful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had three businesses, but none of them were successful. Well, uh, you know, that's probably not a good idea to st- start another business. Well, with that being said, though, except for if you learn something from each of them, and this time's going to be different. Well, that's true. You, you know, know, if you learn from your yeah. mistakes and you figure it out, you know, that can make a big difference. Yeah, but the fact that you've started one, and even if it did fail, what did you learn from it, and what are you doing different? I always like to use Walt Disney as that example. Yeah, that's true. But some people haven't even started one ever, and they're getting into this like, I'm ready to go. (laughs) Yeah, and they have no clue. (laughs) And you really do need to understand how many moving parts you have here. And I think the big question is, why do you want to do this? Yes, the why, you know, why always brings emotion to everything. It's like, why? Because I've, I've dreamt about this my whole life. I've, I've always wanted to do this. Or, or mm-hmm. why? Because my friend on the East Coast is doing it, so I want to do it. You know, what's the why and how big is the why? You know, how much emotion is there behind that why? Because it is a tremendous amount of work mm-hmm. to do this. And you've got to want it, you know. Your likelihood of success is directly proportional to how bad you want it. Yep. And so, I mean, if there's a lot of want and you think you can put this together and pull it off, then I'd say go for it. It's it's a great thing to do. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is if you've had a business, is this like the other businesses you've had or is it totally unique? And do you have some help? Yeah. With other people who have done this. You know, do you have a mentor? Do you yeah. have a couple mentors? Do you have some other offices or physicians or nurses or whoever who have been in this business who can sit down with you and kind of lay things out for you and, and go through it? it it's it's sort of like when you're doing this, every single detail has got to be thought out. I mean, just us having done this for you know, 20-some years, when we moved into our new location, before we moved in, we had to figure out what each room was, mm-hmm. where the camera, we talked about that in another podcast, where we were going to do photos. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to do photos there, where's the sink? Mm-hmm. Because people have to cleanse their face. So where's that in relation to where you do photos? And then where's the consultation in relation to that? So every single thing needs to be diagrammed and thought out. And there has to be, like if a patient comes in and they're this, 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 you know, and then they need to go to the restroom, how does that work? Is that going to work in your facility? Is Mm -hmm. uh, every detail like that? So I think if you just understand that there's quite a bit to it, and it really helps if you've had a 
if you've made a plan. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So basic plan, just make a good business plan. Uh, maybe you need to make one for the bank because you need money. The bank is going to require a very specific business yeah. plan, and you're going to be dotting a lot of I's, crossing a lot of T's. If the plan is for yourself, if you have some cash, let's say you've been a, a physician for a number of years and you've done well, and now you want to get into this, which is not uncommon. Yes. Uh, everyone <laughs> seems to be doing that. Uh, so, you know, maybe you've got some cash and you can do it. You don't want to waste it. You want to make sure it's all being used correctly. Mm-hmm. And I really do highly recommend that you find a mentor someplace mm-hmm. to talk to because um, a lot of equipment out there is really, really good equipment. It doesn't mean you should start with it. Well, and aesthetics is totally different from the medical world where physicians are used to having patients driven to them by their insurance. And in the aesthetic world, they do not have to come to you. There is nobody driving them to you. You have to get the patients to come to you and be willing to pay cash, which physicians are always blown away when I speak at some of the introductory conferences of, you know, my patients are willing to drop 500, 1500, 5000 on these procedures, and they're dealing with patients who don't want to pay their $25 copay. It's a whole different world. And yes, I don't have a problem getting patients to pay that, but you have to get them in the door first. And the thing is, is they're used to their patients just being shuffled in the door and handed to them. And you're right. If you don't have a mentor to even talk to about how do you go about that, you can open your doors. And it's not a, if you build it, they will come. That's correct. (laughs) It's a total different situation. Now, if you do have a database, it means in all likelihood, you're going to be able to use that database to some extent. Mm-hmm. Don't assume that because they all love you because you're an orthopedic surgeon or you're a family practice or OBGYN that they're just automatically going to go to you. Um, but the odds are if they like you a lot and you have good good stuff and they're going someplace, they will probably give you a try. Absolutely. You know, so I, I think why not? You know, you're my you've been my physician for many years. I trust you. Uh, yeah, you have this and I'm interested in that. So let's, uh, we'll give it a go and see how it goes. So I think that that's important um, to be able to do that. Um, and then besides technology and what should you start with and what shouldn't you, but also where are you going to do this? Yeah, location, location, location. So if you have, you know, and some people want to be uh, like in a mall, you know, if you're if you're near a Starbucks or something, there's a lot of traffic or something <laughs> like that. I'm thinking of that because I could use another Starbucks. Right I now. know. It's early this morning, people. Uh, We're both a little tired. <laughs> but it's it's awesome, you know, to have a really good location like that mm-hmm. is nice. It's not, you know, everything. Uh, there's a, a lot of offices. Our office is not near Starbucks or anything like that. It's actually in a high rise in Midtown Phoenix, um, so but we like it, and it's uh, fairly you know close to the airport for people that mm-hmm. fly in central and, to the valley in and general. For training, yeah. So there's things about it that absolutely work for us, and uh, and also make it very nice for our patients. So mm-hmm. I think location is really important. You have to shop around. You have to look around. You have to decide how many square feet. You know, how, yeah. how big do you want? And um, 
Most people do not allocate enough space for storage. Yeah. They, you know, if you if you're good, you will probably outgrow your space. So, from a lease standpoint, can mm-hmm. you get more space, or how is that going to work? We were in our last location longer than we should have been, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know sometimes that happens. But uh, you know, just just understanding those things, your location, your space, how you do it, and how you decorate it. You know, what's it look like inside? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the culture of your your people? What's the culture of your office? Yeah. So there are so many things involved in it that uh, it's important to kind of sit down and write some of this stuff out. Yeah, because you're right. Besides having the place, besides having the technology, you have to find the right people to work with. Yep. You know, I have seen physicians' offices, not in the aesthetics world, but even just in the medical world, where having the wrong staff at the front desk can cause people not to want to come to you anymore if they're treated poorly. You know, and because they're electing to come there in the aesthetics world, you have to treat them kind all of the time. You can't be rude to people. You can't, you know, go through any of this. And you and I have had some experience with some interesting people running our front office in the past. Yes, we have. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not even going to get into some of those stories, but even being experienced people in business, we have struggled with that too. Interviews and things like that. People can trick you and then they get in there at the front and you're like, who are you? <laughs> and when some of the people show up for an interview and you're asking the question and then you have to answer for them, oh my it's like, really? You know, so it yeah. happens. It happens. But, but the whole thing is, if you understand that, the majority of businesses really do have a hard time, mm-hmm. and it's always about the little things. Yeah. It's the little things that cause this problem. So I'm going to give you some facts, and yes. after these facts, you may not want to do business. <laughs> <laughs> these are good, though. They're good for people to know. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, you may be a physician, but you are now a businessman. Yes. You know, the minute you get into this, you're a businessman or businesswoman. Um, You could be a nurse. You could be whatever. But you are now a business person, which makes you an entrepreneur. And basically, the important thing is that 50% of all businesses are out of business within two years. Yeah, brand new startups. Brand new startup, gone in two years. Um, 80% are gone after five years. That is just crazy. So, you know, that's a, so whatever you've invested to have that gone, completely gone. So, you know, and we'll go through some things uh, about it. Um, out of all of them that start, like if a hundred offices started today, that in 10 years, four offices would still be around. Mm-hmm. So 4%. Four percent. So that's that's not a good number. Mm-mm. It's not a good number. Um, so out of the offices that make it, five percent will will gross one million dollars a year in revenue. So we don't know what the net is. Yeah. But to gross a million, your net might be five hundred thousand, or it might be fifty thousand. <laughs> Or 5000 <laughs> Or, or 5000 <laughs> You know, what are your expenses? You know, how much do you have going with it? So four-tenths of 1%. So 
So think of this, four-tenths of 1% of all businesses make $5 million gross. So, and that's, I mean, in this day and age, it, it, it's, it's a lot less than it used to sound, you know, yep, yep. 5 million gross and only four tenths of 1%. So yep. only a fraction of 1% will ever make it to that in the business world. And if your goal is to make, uh, say 10 million, um, uh, your chance is six ten thousandths of 1%. <laughs> I mean, holy shit. <laughs> no. It's, it's like, that's pathetic. I know. It, it's, and so statistically, this is a very, very difficult path. And it's important to know and understand that before you start. And that's why you have to love it. Yes. You've got to want it. You've got to love it. And is the market big? Probably the largest market of any individual thing out there. And it's all cash. Yes. It's all cash. Yep. There's lots of reasons to want to do it, and there's a lot of reasons to love it, but you have to look at the facts. Yeah. Nobody is just giving you, uh, you know, no insurance company in, in this business. They're not giving you 40,000 patients. Uh-uh. You know, you're going to have to earn and keep each one of them on your own, and it's an entirely different environment. If you are using your staff from family practice in aesthetics, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to do well. (laughs) You're just not. Because when I go into family practice, I mean, how I'm treated, you know, how they answer the phone, and I I know I'm generalizing, okay? But, you know, it's just, it's not the same. Yep. So you do have to be aware of that. No, but I do agree with you. It is a whole different kind of environment. And you're right. There can be that staff member here or there that's amazing that you can draw on over with you that's going to be excellent at their job. But in reality, the way those offices are typically run and what we're all typically used to, it's not about customer service. It's you're here. You're in this order. You're in this number. Let's get you in and out. We're busy. And you're moving on. And it's not the... Um, you know, that they're excited to see you when you walk in the door and that they want to talk to you and they remember your face and they know your name and they know about your kids and, you know, these different things that we take into consideration where when I see my patients, some of my patients I've had for 10 to 13 years now, it's like we've become family friends over the years, basically, even though they're my patients. And that's one of the reasons why they still keep coming back. It's not just because you and I do such a good job at our treatments. But they also have a relationship with us because we take the time to develop that relationship and get to know them. I I was just this weekend giving a talk in uh, New York. And um, in the lecture, I talked about doing a consultation that takes an hour to an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And you could hear the groans coming from the audience. (laughs) Like Nobody wants to spend that kind of time. Yeah. You know, but you're separating yourself from everyone else. Mm-hmm. You're building a relationship. You're yep. getting to know them. They're getting to know you. You know, I'm, I mean, yes, that all takes time. It's an investment in time, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is something you don't get back. You know, time is, is an asset, and it's a huge asset. And if you lose it, you lose it. You don't get it back. But if you are using your time wisely and doing really good quality consultations. And anyway, we got, uh, I'm getting off the subject here, but yeah. that's, it's just knowing and understanding and having the people and all of that is such an important component. 
So let's go back to some of the other questions that you should probably ask yourself before starting a new business or specifically jumping into this aesthetic business. Well, well, one, one question is really understanding the business you're in. Yes. So what business are you in? And then if you, if, you know, and then the question is, well, what business are you really in? Yeah. Most people will say, well, I'm in the aesthetic business. Wrong. Wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the business of passionately giving people flawless skin and beautiful bodies. Now, which mm-hmm. sounded better? Yes. That we're in the aesthetic business? Yeah, okay. Or you are in the business of passionately giving people flawless skin and beautiful bodies. Yep. Now, you're That's on, your elevator speech. That's your elevator. You're on an <laughs> elevator and, you know, this really pretty lady is going up the elevator with you and she asks, what business are you in? You have a choice. You could say aesthetic business and she gets off on the sixth floor. You, you say, <laughs> we, we passionately give people flawless skin and beautiful bodies. And she goes up to the 12th floor with you because she wants to know more. Yep. She's asking more questions that's, now. <laughs> that's right. So it, it's always like that. And the same thing with, we could say we're aesthetic uh, trainers. Mm-hmm. Wrong. We um, are professional aesthetic trainers for offices wanting the best educational experience available. Yes. So again, you're, you're, you're stating more really what it is, what you are and what you do. And it's important to understand all of that. And I think passion is a couple of the keywords that you used in some of this, because yeah. I think that's something that makes you and I both successful at what we're doing, but also in a good team, because we both have the passion and desire for this industry. I want to help people look the best they can. More importantly, I want to help them feel good about themselves. Like that's one of my driving things is I can take some of these women who come in, you know, maybe down on themselves, maybe not feeling good about themselves and help them change some things and it will change how they feel. And I just recently did that um, with an older lady who I had resurfaced. And, you know, over the last two years, she had gone through a terrible divorce. She's in her 70s now. She's single for the first time in like 50 some years you know, she was feeling very down on herself. She's getting ready to remove, move into a retirement community and she wanted to look better. And I resurfaced her. I changed how she looks. She's feeling so much better. And when we got done, because of course the first two weeks are hell, <laughs> yep. when you go through the burn victim at the end of this, she told me, she said, I hope that you are proud of yourself for what you're doing because you are giving confidence back to women. She goes, I feel so much better about myself. I am so much happier. And it just help change the way I look at myself when I get up in the morning and see myself in the mirror. And, you know, and she is teary eyed over it. And that's the part that I love. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to help people feel better about themselves and make them happy. That that sounds like our testimonial for hair grafting. (laughs) She said the same thing. Yes. Yeah. She couldn't believe the difference in how she felt and what a yeah. game changer that was. Yeah, but it's, it's that yeah. emotion, you know, and that's what makes us both passionate where people look at this sometimes as a business and they're like, I just want to make a ton of money and there's a ton of money in that aesthetics. But if you're getting into it only for money, I agree with you, you're in it for the wrong reason. It's we're in it because we love what we do and I love changing people's lives. I think if, if the approach is you're getting into it just for money, then you're a businessman that does not have the passion, does not have everything else, and you can still make it and survive. Mm-hmm. But if you are getting into it for helping people and really doing the right thing and helping them get everything, 
you will be successful no matter what. Mm-hmm. And you, you do well just because of that. And, and I think that's obviously the way to go. Yep. And that's why I always use Walt Disney as that example yep. where even yep. though he had his bankruptcies and his failures, he was passionate about it. He had been laughed out of banks yep. for the idea of forming Disneyland where they told him that his sketches were stupid and that would never become anything. But deep down in his heart, he knew and he had a passion for it. And I mean, he created something that is going to be known to men worldwide for, I mean, the rest of our time. Yeah, I, I would think most people would say he was successful. I know, right? <laughs> but you look at it and it was passion. He yeah. did not give up regardless. And it's not like I'm saying we all have to start with his rough path, but it's the idea of having the passion for what you're going to do and using that pa- passion, but then asking the right questions, creating your business plan and creating that follow through. Because if you only have passion, but you don't have a plan, that can also backfire on you. So I, I think this takes us to where we ask the question, is this the business we want to be in? What will this business do for us? All that type of stuff. And I think if, if I were to say, do you believe that Bill Gates has been successful having, having created and developed Microsoft? Mm-hmm. I'd say most people would say, yeah, oh, you yeah. Know, he, he did well. So what question would Bill Gates ask himself? You know, if we ask ourselves a question, what what question are we going to ask ourselves about our own business? Uh, What we're wanting to do, how Mm -hmm. we want to do it. What question did Bill Gates ask himself that has made him a gazillionaire? Yeah. Well, the question he asks is, how do I own the intelligence that runs all the computers in the world? And the answer was MS-DOS that he bought for $50,000 and then sold to IBM for $4 billion. <laughs> well, gee, that's not a bad idea. I know. <laughs> you know. That's a pretty good investment. I could have asked. Why didn't I ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> I asked the wrong question. I know. <laughs> so the whole thing is ask the questions, you know, what do you really want out of this? How, how do you see it happening? How are you going to achieve it? What's going to make the, the biggest difference? And I think when you look at your business, if you're doing your business to meet your needs, you have a problem. If you're doing your business to meet your customers' needs, you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So everything is about the customer or the patient, right? Yes. And if you are meeting their needs or or attempting to exceed anything they want, you know, when your attitude and your culture is, that's how we run, that's how we roll, we, everything we do is about meeting their needs Mm -hmm. or exceeding their needs, then I think you're going to do really well. And that's where the passion comes in. If you don't have the passion, you're probably not going to do it. No, absolutely. And in, It's not just the passion too, then it's the hard work. And that's something that I feel like is not understood for anybody who has never ran a business, managed a business, things like that, where you and I end up working more hours than anybody trying to grow this, you know, continue to advance to different levels. And you have to be willing to put in that hard work. So you've got to have passion, you've got to have a plan, and you have to be willing to work hard. And when you do it, it seems like you get more fun out of it all the time. 
Yes. Because, you know, with a little bit of success comes a little more fun. A little more success, a little (laughs) more fun. And, you know, it's like it grows on its own. It sort of starts feeding itself. And if your culture is that way throughout, then your staff sees the culture. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets on board with that, which really makes it fun. Yeah. Um, when When you're starting out... You really need to know that you can be successful. Yeah, um, can, absolutely. You know, can, is the venture going to pay off? You have to feel deep inside you that, you know, you've looked at all the boxes, you've checked off the boxes that you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, because a lot of people don't do that. You know, I, I, again, you, you're, you're all fired up and excited about something, some new venture and this and that. But you really haven't checked off all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And remember, you do need good staff. So that means yeah. interviewing. You do need, you know, a good location. Mm-hmm. You need the right space. You need mm-hmm. the right technology in that space. Well, if you've never been in this aesthetic arena, how do you know what technology? Yeah. I mean, well, where, where do you go? I mean, if you listen to any one of the thousands and thousands of salespeople out there, they're going to tell you what technology <laughs> you should have. And of course, it's theirs. Yeah. You know, and of, this of is, it's absolute. <laughs> this is, you have to have this. It's going to make all the difference in the world. So, you know, just, just be aware that that's going to happen because you are now in the field of being a buyer. They're going to try to sell you. So, uh, and there is a lot of great technology out there, and Absolutely. we love the technology. We're excited about it. We have lots and lots of it, and I think it is so much better now than it was 10 years, 5 years ago, 10 years ago. So you can have a lot of fun with that technology. So, But one of the things, too, is when you get into it, you need to kind of figure out how are you going to grow it. And to grow, you know, the, your first year, most people, you know, don't do so well. Yeah. They're, they're figuring it out. The second year, okay, they, they do okay. You know, they've got some things figured out now, and they've got some patients coming in. The third year, they really start to make money. And the thing at this point, somewhere in here, you need to think about what do I have to do to grow exponentially? Mm-hmm. And exponentially is just simply growing a little bit in a lot of different areas. So a few more leads, closing a few more people, closing a few more people at a little bit higher dollar amount. Um, All of those things, you know, uh, what are you charging? Maybe your rates go up a little bit. You're doing more procedures, more frequent patient returns instead of them coming in once a year or twice a year, now now coming in three times a year or four times a year. So as you look at things like that, if you literally take just one or two things and you increase it by 10%, maybe 15%, your overall growth is huge. What if you could grow each one of those? Now you are growing exponentially because you have all of these different areas of growth that you're participating in. So it can make a big difference in learning how to do that. And there's a lot of people that can talk to you about that and a lot of people doing consultations on Mm -hmm. that and, and how to structure it and make that happen. But it's really, really good. 
Absolutely. And there's all those different things, not only from getting new patients, but to retaining your patients. And that's the thing that I see with businesses. Sometimes that's a problem where I always call them the turn and burn clinics, where eventually they do go out of um, business because they don't retain their patients. They just get them in, get them out, and they don't care to take the time where you talked about how people were groaning about doing an hour to an hour and a half consultation. But the fact that you and I take the time to get to know our patients, to really want to help them and do these things, why the vast majority of our leads are still referrals yeah where we're getting them all the time and you know what referral leads are the best because they're coming to you because their friend or their family member told them they're already ready to spend the money they're not shopping elsewhere and they are there and they're committed to you and it's it creates a family environment almost when we're doing it that way and that's one of the reasons why we still keep growing so even just learning to hold on to the patients that you have and keep them in there is will continue to um, allow you to grow over and over again. That's right. And uh, another thought is, you know, listening to this podcast, attending workshops, any ones that you can attend, you know, you're going to get information out of them. Some information, you know, you're going to say, okay, maybe not today, but tomorrow I could use that, or this I could use now. These are all good ideas. But do understand LODI, L-O-D-I. It's the law of diminishing intentions. And so you might go to a workshop and hear all (laughs) these great pearls. Mm -hmm. You might be hearing things that are really, really good. And so you have all the intention in the world to do something and to use that. But as time goes by, that intention just starts to slowly fade away. And that one little intention could have been the difference between, you know, profitability and non-profitability mm-hmm. that year or increasing it by 20, 40, 80, 100 percent. And so it's, it's little things all the time added up. It makes such a difference. But Lodi is a disaster for most businesses because I don't think there's a business out there that doesn't have good ideas. Yeah. It's lack of implementation. It's lack, exactly. So they don't execute on them, they don't implement them, or they implement some of them, the rest of them go by the wayside. They were brilliant ideas at the time, and now they've just been discarded. And so, (laughs) (laughs) why? Because lack of implementation. So you just, you do have to have it, and Lodi is a big, big deal, and the number one reason why businesses fail. Yeah, they which don't implement. I was laughing just because you and I tend to be idea people, yeah. <laughs> which is why we have to have our staff around us to make sure things actually get implemented. Because <laughs> <laughs> you and I can sit together every morning and shoot off a million ideas of what we should do. But if somebody doesn't implement them, there you go. Well, I, I think I implement most of them, don't I? <laughs> no. I'm looking over here at Tavi and she's shaking her head right now. Like, no. No, you don't do anything. That's no. why your staff is important, right? <laughs> You have to have the people to help you implement the ideas. And that's why part of the business, you're right, is finding the right people to work with you. We all have different um, talents, you know, and some of us are idea people. Some of us are implementers. Some of us are leaders. Some of us are followers. You know, there's all these different things. You have to get a variety of people in your staff because different people are going to excel at different things. But when you have built that team and you all can work together as a team, that's how you become really successful. That's right. So you attend a event, you hear all these great things, mm-hmm. you have uh, 
all this tremendous ideas and you don't implement and you you know you do have to understand that you've been given knowledge mm-hmm. and people think well knowledge is power but it's not really power it's potential power right yes it, it, it's potential power because it can be used but you'd still have to do it yes. you have to use it and sometimes it's just being creative and how to use it. So I, I think once upon a time I told a story about a little restaurant that I went to outside of Las Vegas. And I went in and, you know, I stood in line and saw oh, the sandwiches yes. up on the board. <laughs> I mean, this was freaking brilliant. And, you know, so I wait in line and I uh, place my order for my sandwich. And then I go and find a table and wipe it off and sit down. And uh, and then you, you get in line to pay. And I'm standing in line and the cashier yells out, tip, tip. And everyone behind uh, that were making the sandwiches yell, hooray. <laughs> you know, and so the next one paid and it was tip, tip, hooray. And now I'm up there and I'm thinking, well, shit, everybody's tipping. I have to tip. You know, they were telling you what to do. I wasn't going to be the only asshole that didn't tip. And so it's tip, tip, hooray. They're telling you exactly what to do. And I talked to her. I said, well, how long have you been doing this? Because, you know, it looks like everybody's giving you a tip. She said, our tips are twice as big as they ever were. And everyone tips us uh, because we're telling them what to do. And I said, well, what did you do before that? She said, we had a bell. I said, how how'd that work out? It didn't work at all. It didn't tell them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, okay, here is a creative idea that mm-hmm. was implemented. Yeah, and it's cute. And it's cute. And everybody there benefited, the entire staff, the, the cashier, mm-hmm. everybody. So they were excited. They were getting a tip. So, of course, tip, tip, hooray. You know, <laughs> they were all screaming for it. So these are the kinds of things... That should be implemented mm-hmm. all the time. And so many of them never happen. Yeah. Never happen within a business. Mm-hmm. And that's just a shame because those are the kinds of things that can completely change a business yeah. and make it so big. So I was talking to Dr. Braun, Martin Braun out of Vancouver Laser Center yesterday. The guy talks so fast, I have, I, you know, I mean, he's got... You need a recorder, don't you? You need a recorder because he's got 80,000 ideas on his head at any given time. And he's got this huge office. He's got a staff of 100. He's got 16 receptionists. He, he's making more money than he knows what to do with. And I need him to just send some to me. <laughs> Do you hear that, Martin? <laughs> Martin, send it down. He'll send you the addressed envelope. Yeah. So it's it's just wild, though, but that's the thing. You see, he's got all these ideas and all this, and they, they sit around and talk about it, and then who's this one, this one, implement this, and mm-hmm. implement that. And he's got so many things going on, and sometimes we think, you know, how are we going to keep up? we got so much going on. But, but again, it's implementing, and it's getting the staff and everybody mm-hmm. to help get all the things done and moving forward. And that's, that's where we've decided that uh, I think next month we start Start videotaping this. Yes, we are. We are going to. So start these doing will that. be videotaped, and I'm I, I'm really sorry, but you're going to have to see us in the early morning <laughs> from time to time. We should be apologizing up front for that. <laughs> it could be a scary thing for you. I know. I don't know if I'll come in in my pajamas or not, but 
Anyway. I don't know. We might have to do that for one of them just for the heck of it. Yeah. I want to see what kind of pajamas you're sleeping in. <laughs> <laughs> but no, right. thinking of Martin, you're right. He is so smart. He has so many ideas. But I remember being at his office a couple years ago. I want to say it was in 2019 where you and I had gone up there to visit him. And just recently, not too long before that, they had had patient zero come in, meaning his very first patient. And it had been years. They actually had gotten a cake that had said patient zero, and she yeah. was like the first one. Yeah. And they were talking about how they had just kind of celebrated that anniversary. Yeah. But on top of him being smart and having these ideas, his patients love him. He loves this business. He loves what he's doing. He's such a nice guy. But the fact that patient zero is still seeing him 20 some years, maybe even longer than that later, and it's still going on like that. I, I just love that. And then they celebrated her for it, yeah. you know, and made her feel special. And I, I was like, that is such a smart idea. The smallest little things, but then boom, you know, that expands into more patients coming in because they're like, you got to go here. Yep. So you, you get these patients to go out and start talking about you and what they did and all of this type of thing. And that's how he's grown his practice. And I think if you take time with patience and don't rush through it, so that's one thing. I also mm-hmm. want to make a point that a, um, you know, a great idea will never f- just find you. Mm-hmm. You do have to be thinking about it. Whatever you focus on is what it becomes. And so it's not like there's all these great ideas just floating around out there and they're going to say, oh, there's a guy who needs a great idea. I'll go visit Larry. <laughs> you know, it, it's not quite like that. Yeah. But when you're thinking about it and you're thinking about it a lot because you're passionate about it mm-hmm. and you wake up at 2 a.m. with an idea or something like that, that is all about owning a business. Yeah. That, that is it. You, you, you're involved in it top to bottom all the time. And so those great ideas might not find you, but you may find them. Yes. Just simply by doing all the things right. And, uh, and so. not being afraid to do the hard work. That's if the biggest word of advice that I can give to people about owning your business is in the beginning, you better be prepared to work longer and harder than you ever will. If you're an employee for somebody, you have to put in the effort after hours. You have to put in the effort on the weekends. You're like you said, you're waking up at 2 a.m. thinking about ideas. You're getting up in the morning and rewriting things. You're going home at night and researching extra things and watching, you know, different videos on how to do stuff or listening to podcasts on how to do stuff. And it's, it takes time. It's an investment. And, you know, I just want to think about one of the offices that I just went to recently in um, Illinois. I trained that office in Springfield, Illinois. This was the third training she had invested in with us. And you know what? She's doing amazing. She has taken a lot of time and effort to invest in training, to want to be the best, to work hard with her patients. And I spent two days out there with her going through difficult cases because she wanted to be better. She's killing it. I mean, she's already outgrowing her space, but she is working hard. She's working after hours. She's taking on difficult cases. She wants to help people. She's just such a nice person in general. But if I look at how much money that she's invested in the past six months and her time to travel, to learn to do this, that's why she's already outgrown her space in the first year. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's about value, mm-hmm. right? If if you're my patient and you see that you're getting more value from me by, and coming to our office than from where you were going, you'll probably come to us. Mm-hmm. And so if you just think about that all the time, who doesn't want value? Everybody yeah. wants a lot of value for what, you know, what they're doing. 
Yeah. So I think that's important. No, and then it's good, too, to talk about the fact that you are going to have some problems when you start a business. Nothing is ever smooth-flowing, free-flowing. We're all going to make mistakes here and there. But, you know, um, besides talking about Walt Disney, I always like that speech from Arnold Schwarzenegger when he talks about, you know, what is it, the five or six rules to being successful. Mm-hmm. And one of them that he brings up in that, and if, if you guys have never seen it, you need to go listen to that motivational speech. You can definitely find it out there on YouTube. But one of them he talks about is don't be afraid to fail. Yep. It doesn't mean your whole business is going to fail, but sometimes certain ideas will fail. The key is what did you learn from it? And yep. what are you going to do different next time? Yep, that's right. And, and with the problems too, if you, if you solve the right problems at the right time, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But solving the right problem at the wrong time, basically, you know, you, you get nothing out of it. You're screwed. You're screwed. That's right. So just understand it's all about solving the problem. And it, it, if, you, if you take the problem and define it, because mm-hmm. you're going to have them. So define the problem. Really work it down to the nitty gritty. What is it? So 5% of your time is spent on defining the problem, 95% on solving it. Yeah. Once the problem has been defined and you know exactly what it is, then you can put it behind you. Yes. You get to move into the fun part, which is solving it. Mm-hmm. And solving the problems always makes things better. A lot of times a problem comes and you think at the time, this is the worst thing that could happen to you. Like when we got kicked out of our space at the previous building. Um, you know, we got moved into a smaller space and I thought this is the worst thing that could mm-hmm. possibly happen. Well, it changed how we did aesthetics mm-hmm. for the better, you know. Yep. So a lot of times it turns out, you know, for the good, but you just have to work at it and look at it and, and, uh, and appreciate that, hey, sometimes that happens. Well, and I like this point because I think this is why you and I work so well together is because I look at it as you can spend 5% of your time whining about it. Yeah. We're all allowed to have our moment of whiting. I'll give you five minutes. If you've had a bad day, if something failed, just get it out there. Once that five minutes is up, my answer or my question to you is always, what are we going to do about it now? Yeah. Because I don't like to sit there and hear the same problem whined about over and over again, like it's a five-year-old kid begging for a lollipop, right? Here's the problem. Let's get it out of our system. We can all break down and cry a little bit. Once we're done with that, then what are we going to do? I'm a solutions person. So I like this of the 5% of the time defining it, 95% of the time solving it. Now that we know what the problem is, now that we know where it failed, what are we going to do to fix it? That's where you need to devote your energy is what's next, what did we learn, what are we going to do to fix it? I like it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is a little bit on change. You know, change is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Growth is optional. But Charles Darwin said it best. He said, it's not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent but the ones most responsive to change. Mm-hmm. And in business, it changes every day. I mean, literally, if I came into the office and I had nothing scheduled, does not happen often. <laughs> <laughs> I not dr- anymore, at I least. dream about it. Um, but it, nothing scheduled. Trust me, I will be busy with things that have changed overnight or mm-hmm. over the last week or whatever all day long. And change is going to happen. So take it on as a challenge. If there is a problem within it, do as Ann said. Spend your 5%, you know, defining it. Get, then move past that. Get into the solving it because that's the fun part. And a lot of times it's in that solving it part 
that you end up doing so much better and, yeah. and having fun with it. It's, it's weird how a problem becomes one of the best things that could have ever happened to you. Yeah. So it's, but, but I think taking that approach is the way to go. Well, and just even looking at just since you and I have been to, in business together for almost nine years, the amount of changes that have gone into our business. Oh, yeah. Even just the little tiny small things of like we had to go from paper charts to electronic medical records. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Which Larry still doesn't like that sometimes. But here's the, here's the one thing I got to say about it. Besides the fact that charts never get like misplaced or missing. Can you imagine if we had moved into our new office and we would have had to have those really ugly storage cabinets we used to have for all of our charts? That's what the warehouse is for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're going to send Tave down there every time a patient comes in down to the warehouse, go pull her chart, come back up the elevator. Here's your chart. No, yeah, no, no. That, that would have been a nightmare. That's, <laughs> well, um, just think about how ugly they were and where yeah. would we put it? I feel like we just gained a bunch of square footage and we're already running out of space. Can yep. you imagine if we'd have to have thousands of charts shoved somewhere? Again, that's that's very much like planning a new office mm-hmm. and people getting into this. Are they, you know, what are they going to do? Yeah. I, I think if you did paper charts for the first six months or a year, you yeah. don't have any patients yet, you know, get started, get yeah. things going. But absolutely, it does become a priority at some point. Yeah. And it's one of those weird little changes that I never envisioned it being for the fact that I don't want a big, ugly eyesore cabinet at the front yep. with all the patient charts in it. But now that we're in a new office, I just keep thinking, thank the Lord that we did change to EMRs yep. because we don't have to deal with that issue. I still go into other offices and they are still struggling with that issue. Yeah. And not all systems are created equal. No, no. So, so we've had our, our ups and downs as well, yep. our trials and errors. But I just wanted to use that as one example of that we've had to adapt over the time. Things have changed. And you're right. If you're not willing to change with the environment, then you're going to get left behind. That's right. So one of the things, too, I'd just say is, you know, if... Um, you know, under the what would Larry do, you contact Ann or myself. If you have questions, if you're starting a business, mm-hmm. you don't know, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, there's only so many hours in the day, but we, we try to respond yes. and try to give you some good ideas. If you ever want to come by and see what we have and what we do, we're happy mm-hmm. to show you uh, what it's all about and why we did. You know, it's like, why why would somebody do this? Why did you do it like that? Why? Yeah. You know, that's the part where sometimes you don't see it at first. Mm-hmm. And then later it's like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. So we want to help as much as we can. We'll help everybody out there. We don't feel like we have um, competitors. Like so, some people sort of freak out about that. We do not. We'd yeah. love to help you. And uh, so let us know if uh, you have questions. We'll be happy to help. Good. Well, I think I'll leave that as your last word of advice, unless you had anything else that you wanted to say. I think that's it for today. Good. And then my last word of advice is if you do want to get into this business, take Larry's advice, write down why you want to be in this business. Just start writing things down and see where it leads you. And then, of course, if you have questions, reach out and contact us. But otherwise, that's going to wrap us up for today. So don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and download our other episodes and follow us on social media at Clear Skin Institute. And thank you for listening today. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to What Would Larry Do? Featuring Dr. Ann. Hear it live each week here or anytime 24-7 on demand at StarWorldWideNetworks.com. 